Welcome to Pullback, the podcast where we challenge ourselves to try something new in ethical consumption. Then we tell you what we learned, fuck-ups and all. I'm Kristen Pugh, and I'm here with Kyla Hewson. And this episode, we are joined by Alexandra Sundersing, Brianna Botchway, and Faria Mohudin for our first ever end of the year quiz show. Very exciting. So Lex, Brianna, and Faria, you were all guests on our previous episodes, and we thought it would be fun to bring you back uh, to do sort of our year-end wrap-up. Uh, so I guess, how's, how's everyone doing, just to start us off? Well, I'm going to point, and then you guys speak. Lex, how are you? Uh, I am warm, and I don't have COVID, and so I'm counting that as two for two victories. Yes. Love it. Excellent. That's a low bar, but for the year that we've had, you know, we'll take it. Faria, how are you doing? I'm all right. Just feeling the end of the year blues. It's uh, sun is setting at 4 p.m. here in Berlin, Germany every day, so, you know... <laughs> yeah, it's rough. <laughs> Trying to drink a lot of blue vine this December. Faria's like already ready for bed. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been dark for hours there. True. And even longer in my soul. No. <laughs> <laughs> Brianna. <laughs> yeah, that's a thing you get to follow now. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I'm not sure about the darkness of my soul. I mean, my dog's soul is pretty dark right now because it's raining and she hates the rain. But uh-huh. yeah, her life is really difficult. <laughs> so otherwise, I'm good. Um, I'm ready for 2020 to see herself out. So um, I'm hoping 2021 will be a better year. But you know what? Who knows? I mean, we can only hope. <laughs> <laughs> Kristen, do you want to explain what we're doing? Absolutely. Um, So with the caveat that we have never done this before, so we hope it's going to work. This is how we plan for the quiz to go. We essentially have nine questions and they're connected to like either topics that we covered this year on the podcast or to events that happened in 2020. Ideally both, but I wasn't able to do that for all of them. You guys are going to buzz in with a pre-selected funny word of your choice, and that is how we'll know that you want to answer the question. Um, So I'll just go through and you can tell us what your word is. Uh, So Lex, what is your word? Partridge. Partridge, I love it. Very (laughs) festive. Brianna? Asparagus. Okay. (laughs) Food theme. Uh, (laughs) Mine's chicken. (laughs) <laughs> I guess we're all like, super hungry right now. <laughs> it was brainstormed at lunchtime, so yes. <laughs> That's fantastic. Uh, Kristen put me in charge of like, if you guys all say your words at the same time, I have to choose who spoke first. And like, I, in case I'm wrong later, can edit you guys to sound like whoever I chose did actually come in first. <laughs> In shame, I might uh, might have to do that. <laughs> I'm a terrible ref. <laughs> Fake news quiz. <laughs> it's rigged. <laughs> All right, should I should I give question one? Yes, let's have it. Okay, which company has benefited the most financially from the COVID nineteen pandemic? Asparagus. Brianna. Sorry, Amazon. Yeah, it's it's Amazon. Good job. And who so, Amazon? Yeah. And Jeff Bezos personally has made a lot of money too. So oh, fuck that well. guy. <laughs> So what do you guys think? Like, um, we talked a little bit earlier in the year about like COVID and how it's going to impact the economy. Where are you guys at on what 2021 is going to look like? On the economy? <laughs> or yeah, the economy, human well-being. <laughs> <laughs> Just simple topics. <laughs> 
I mean, my hope from my perspective is that um, as we start to reckon with the cost of the pandemic, because hopefully by the end of 2021, we will have mass scale vaccination, is that we really think about how we talk about fiscal policy and what's possible uh, and who has to foot the bill. I mean, I talk about it in my episode too. Like, there are people who haven't been paying into the system who are often the ones who benefit the most. And that when we look back at the pandemic and we see how stark this imbalance was, it really spurs politicians to act to redress that imbalance. I mean, it won't be perfect, but at least some steps towards that. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I think we've seen even in Canada now, they started talking about having, you know, more fair taxation of these web giants. And I think there is more broad acceptance now for having a fair tax system. Um, And I think sort of the inequalities that have been brought out by the pandemic have sort of eased that. People are saying like, yeah, this is really ridiculous. And we just didn't notice it before because I think it wasn't as, I mean, it was bad, but maybe it wasn't as stark. You know, I don't know the figures about how much Bezos made, but it's like, it's insane. Um, And so I think that really has woken up quite a few people who might not have cared before. I did pull that um, figure in case people wanted to know. Oh, God. Uh, So Amazon itself added $401 billion uh, in 2020. And Jeff Bezos, uh, his net worth increased by forty-eight billion dollars. Oh so. Like, what do you even do with that much money? I like fathom <laughs> it. Having played the game where you are Jeff Bezos and you try to spend his money, I can, in fact, say there isn't anything you can do to spend all of the money. <laughs> Wait, is that an actual game? <laughs> oh yeah. So there's this game where you can play online, and you are Jeff Bezos, and the goal of the game is for you to try and spend all of Jeff Bezos' money, and you can spend it on whatever you want functionally. The goal is just spend it all. And it is the fastest lesson if you would like to give someone a tutorial on why billionaires should not exist. It's just give them the game and get them to try and spend the money. And people are like, oh, no, surely you can spend a billion dollars. And it's like, oh, it's actually very hard to spend a billion (laughs) dollars if you're not a country. Yeah, Kristen, I think I might have actually tweeted that game out on our Twitter account. I've for sure done it on mine, but I'll I'll I'll, I'll link it again because it's fantastic. Yeah, I want to play that game. It sounds amazing. <laughs> All right, question two: Which team started the NBA players' wildcat strike when they refused to play take the floor for a playoff game on August twenty sixth? Partridge, Lex, the Milwaukee Bucks. Hell yeah. <laughs> I, I thought you might be the one to get that question, Lex. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm very like, what is a sport? <laughs> so I, I'm kind of curious. Um, I feel like this year is sort of revealed that the NBA is like maybe not as woke as like the WNBA, but on the woker end of the spectrum. So I'm curious your guys' thoughts on what sports league is the least woke. Just to be clear, what is the NBA? <laughs> <laughs> Oh no. <laughs> it's basketball. It's basketball. <laughs> All right, Ralph, really don't sports, I see. <laughs> oh, I do actually have thoughts about football though. I think like they are the least woke. Um, if you just saw how they treated what's his name? Um, Colin Kaepernick. And I think they've been trying to be more woke in terms of like racial issues, but I don't think they're quite there yet. But I don't know what other sports are like. Like I don't know how Bob Sutting's doing. I don't know. <laughs> 
That's the other thing is I think there's a big difference between like sports that have a big public presence league versus sports that are either smaller or they're more individually run. So like, I don't think of woke when I think of tennis. (laughs) (laughs) For so many reasons. (laughs) Yeah. I think about like how badly they treated the Williams sisters and like how disrespected Serena Williams is. And then I think about how expensive, weirdly expensive because it's a one-on-one sport, but I think about how weirdly expensive tennis is and like, I don't know, other than Serena and Venus, I don't know if I've heard any tennis stars say that 2020 was bad, which, I mean, I hope I'm wrong. Didn't Naomi Osaka say something? Oh, yes, yes. Okay, so another woman of color. Another black woman. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I think it's a bit different, like, where the sport happens or who's involved, right? Like, it's been very interesting seeing, like, the North American discourse on race versus, like, the European discourse on race play out like in living in Germany and seeing how black lives uh, Berlin is perceived versus like the broader black lives movement in North America and like how and why people get racialized. And, you know, of course in, in sport, that is kind of the big lens of like woke or unwokeness. Uh, I mean, professional soccer is rife with racism but you know it's still seen as like a more um accessible sport i mean if you think about maradona and you know problematic fave but you know he was seen as every man who was able to access the sport uh and was seen as a class hero yeah for sure i mean the other thing i sort of wanted to ask with this uh is we saw sort of a wave of protests um and I guess I'm just curious to know whether you guys think anything's actually changed with respect to racial racial justice. For me, it was the fact that we went from like, what? Abolish the police? Defund the police? To like, my even my like, you know, retiree neighbors being like, yes, defund the police. <laughs> but, yeah, the, the uptake of that narrative has been really, really interesting to see. Now, whether that sort of like more broad acceptance of narratives like defund the police, I don't think abolish the police has quite reached that level of like acceptance. A lot of people support defunding the police and, you know, using that for social services. But whether that actually translates to municipalities or other jurisdictions actually defunding the police remains to be seen. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Lex Freed, do you guys want to weigh in on that or do you want, um, otherwise we can move on? I mean, I think it's been super different being on a a university campus in a non-city area of the U.S. And so like, Urbana-Champaign, I, th- I think it's currently billing itself as micro-urban, um, <laughs> which is a very, yeah, it's a very funny way to say college town. Um, <laughs> one thing that's like been really prominent where I'm living is that um, the calls to defund the police are very embedded in the project of examining like how complicit the university itself is because it kind of sometimes feels like a one company town. And so because of that, there's like, it's not just defund the police in Urbana or in Champaign. It's like, Oh wait, did you guys know the university has its own police department? What would happen if we defunded that? And like, do we need three police departments in this micro urban setting? And so it's been interesting for me to see like, the way the university already having 
so many different racial justice narratives in like affirmative action stuff or in hate crimes on campus stuff or in like diversity in the academy stuff, having that overlap or blend in with the like broader public call for those issues. It almost, I don't know, it felt good. It felt good to see things that people often like naysay as, oh, that's just an academic concern. It felt really good to have a lot of naysayers confronted with the fact that that isn't an academic concern. That's an everyday regular people concern. You're just choosing not to hear it. Yeah, absolutely. Freya, anything to add? Or Yeah, I mean, it's just interesting to see it play out in Europe and place like Germany. And also like I'll bring France into this. So in Germany, the the discourse has really been like, oh, this is a problem in America. America is so broken, you know, and we <laughs> should really stand in solidarity of like people protesting in America. Like it's really like all these like solidarity statements from politicians. And, you know, and they say things like, well, this, this is not a problem in Germany. And well, in a way it's not because Germany alongside France do not collect like ethnicity data on people. Obviously in Germany, it's linked to the Holocaust. And in France, it's because of their ideas of what it means to be French. But because you can't count these things, it effectively doesn't exist. It's led to um, kind of community groups within Germany trying to conduct their own Afro census, as it's called, to really track how many people of African origin and uh, and who identify as Black are living in Germany and to try and document their interactions with the police. I mean, at the same time as, you know, they're saying that they don't have a race problem or they don't have a problem uh, of over-policing people who are racialized um, in Germany, you have all these news stories. Like once a month, they're like just dis- discovering that, you know, the police in this town or that town or even in Berlin have WhatsApp groups where they're all sharing far-right propaganda and are organizing as Nazis. I mean, there, there's like, I think, a special unit within the army that stole weapons and then sold them to far-right groups within Germany. Like, there's a whole lot of nonsense going on. And because of this inability to say, see race, uh, they, they can't, like, connect the dots. So that's been very interesting to see. Yeah, and I mean, it has some, I I would say, some, like, thread lines with the Canadian discourse, too, you know. (laughs) Uh, There's a lot of that, like, it's worse in America. Um, But I do think uh, this year, um, especially on, like, Indigenous issues, um, like, the people have really started to, like, pull back and and talk about, like, uh, racial justice narratives um, in, like, mainstream media more. So hopefully that's a thing that continues. All right. Question three, we ready? Yeah. For it? <laughs> um, so for this one, um, there are five answers. And basically what we're going to get you to do is once I say the question, the first person that buzzes in will get to keep guessing until they get until they say an answer that's not correct. And then other people can jump in to try to fill in the rest of the like five. And there are five points available for Ooh, very each family correct answer. <laughs> I like that. Okay, so the question is, name the top five sugar-producing countries. Oh, no. <laughs> well, I'm asparagus. I'm a try. Okay, I'm try. go for it, Brianna. <laughs> sugar. Um, okay, sugar, sugar, sugar. Mm, 
Barbados? Nope. Anyone else? <laughs> uh, chicken? A Dominican Republic? Nope. Partridge. Okay. Okay, go for it, Lex. I'm going to try Brazil. Yep. Dominican Republic. Wait, did you just say Dominican Republic? Yeah, Faria, Faria guess oh, that. Oh, god damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Can I try again? Yes. Yeah, was that Brianna? Yes. Yeah, go for it. I imagine, okay, this is crazy, but is do the, do people make sugar from beets? If so, I think Europe, like EU. Nope. <laughs> people people do make sugar from sugar beets, but no European countries are on this list. I'm just going to guess China? Yes. Really? <laughs> I'll try India. Yes. <laughs> this is so awkward. Does 1.5 episodes about sugar does not know where sugar comes from. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be fair, your perspective is historical and let's, you know, <laughs> this is contemporary. <laughs> I mean, you guys have guessed the top three. I think Kristen and I are just going to give you the last two. That's a good one. Yeah. So the top three were Brazil, India, and China, and you each got a point on that, so good work. And then Ooh. the last two are, and I think you're going to be surprised by this, Thailand is oh. number four, yeah, and the USA is number five. What? I know, right? <laughs> Where does sugar come from in the US? Is it corn? Louisiana. <laughs> oh, I should have known. Corn syrup. Yeah. <laughs> Lex, do you have any reflections on sugar since we've done that episode? Oh, I mean, it's super interesting to me that the spaces that are historically like the places we got it are not even in the top five anymore, except for Brazil. That's like, that's like, that's just like wild to me that like Trinidad and Jamaica and like all the Caribbean islands, that's like not even a relevant consideration in this top five, like Haiti and the Dominican Republic. Like that, it's so crazy to me that the only remaining Caribbean one in the top five is Brazil. That's wild. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's a, it says something about how much sugar we produce because presumably sugar is still important to those countries, like as a part of their industry, but you know, like China just has more land mass. <laughs> Well, that's why I had initially said Barbados, because I remember, like, you would just, you'd drive down the road and there'd be sugarcane, like, everywhere. You could just buy it off the side of the road, and it was such an important part um, of the economy. But I think you're right. They might just, they just don't have the manufacturing capacity, I think, anymore for global demand. Yeah, I figured it was, like, where is there, like, historical instances of sugarcane, and where do they have lots of land, like, yeah, India. <laughs> All right, you guys ready for question four? Oh my god! Yes. Okay, which major Canadian cooperative was recently sold to a U.S. private investment oh, firm? <laughs> Brianna. <laughs> sorry, I'm so aggressive. <laughs> Mac, may she rest in peace. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I didn't really have a topic to discuss there. I just wanted to throw in a mech question because I'm still sad. <laughs> <laughs> All right, question five. So we, through, throughout the first year of our podcast, we talked about thrift shopping in like at least four episodes. So my question is this. In what year was Macklemore's thrift shopping? <laughs> <still thinking? laughs> You're going to bring up this awful song. <laughs> Chicken. Faria. 
2011. Ooh, so close. That is close. Yeah. <laughs> Shit. I knew it was while I was in grad school, though. So that only leaves 2012. Yes. <laughs> I'll give you a half point for that one. Now I have this song stuck in my head. Like, what? <laughs> yeah, you have to have an interlude in the episode where you just play the, like, weird saxophony noise thing that happens. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh please. Only for you guys. Oh, man. <laughs> so what, what are we supposed to discuss about this? Like, Macklemore's problematic self? Like, I don't... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we could. I was just going to ask if anyone's been to a thrift shop recently because it's COVID. <laughs> oh, I've been to a few, but I mean, secondhand or thrift shopping is a huge part of Berlin culture. Um, oh. it's, it's really seen as like, uh, basically, if you show up in new designer clothes, people are like, oh, where do you think you are? Ken? <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's it's more of a it's more of a statement to like show up in a full like thrifted vintage outfit that's like, you know, all Ferragamo or, you know, all designer. But it really is like, how good can you be at thrifting? It really is like more of a status symbol in a place like Berlin. So there's like there's a chain. There's a massive chain of secondhand um, clothing stores called Humana that are like that take up like three story buildings. It's that big. I, I would love to go to a thrift store that was like a department store, which sounds like that's what that is. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yeah. One of its flagship locations is uh, Berlin's Alexanderplatz. All right. Ready for question six? So in our second episode of the podcast, we talked about alternative milks. Hooray. Uh, so my question is about alternative milks. There is one alternative milk company that's facing calls for a boycott recently because it accepted $200 million in investment from the private equity firm Blackstone. Asparagus? Uh, Brianna. <laughs> Oatly? Yeah, you got that before I even finished the question. I'm proud of you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was just like, yes, because I love Oatly and I was like devastated that they were problematic. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I guess, um, are you still devastated about it? How do you feel? Yeah, I've discovered another oat milk, so I'm good now. Yeah. <laughs> nice. What's what's your new brand? <laughs> Elmdale or something? It's in Canada. So I don't know for, for European if you have other options. I would say just make your own. But yeah, they have like this chai oat creamer that is just like, oh, it's so good. Sounds great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there's big enough demand here that like um, grocery stores have their own brand. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Cool. It's easy enough to make. Why not, right? Grocery stores in the U.S. definitely have their own brands of all of these things. It's just that so many grocery stores in the U.S. are problematic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, it's like, yeah, you could buy Walmart brand oat milk, but is that better? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I So I was reading an Ethical Consumer article about this situation, and they didn't seem all that concerned about Oatly taking this money. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure how I feel about it because it is selling out to a certain degree. But on the other hand, like, I don't know, this is kind of inevitable for any brand. Like now that alternative milks are like a huge market, companies are going to need to take like the sketchy Wall Street money. Do we know why they took the money, though? Because that was never evident to me. Yes, I forgot to write that down. But (laughs) 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 the article did talk about that. I think it was generally about like um, wanting to sort of um, be able to build their profile more and grow as a company, but by selling out, wow, by selling out, yeah, that's. I mean, it's how they all do, right? <laughs> I don't know. 
All right, let's move on to question seven. I'll let you finish this time. (laughs) (laughs) You don't have to. Uh, (laughs) Okay, so farmers in Denmark recently killed 17 million of which animal because... Oh, (laughs) Faria. I know this because it's led to some sort of weird political crisis in Denmark. Uh, (laughs) They've killed uh, 17 million mink. They sure have. Yeah, poor mink. And they did it because of a, a coronavirus outbreaks on the farms. So like are mink catching the coronavirus? What's going on there? Yeah. And now people are getting it from the mink. <laughs> Wait, does that mean there's in the mink fur or do people eat mink? Um, it, I, yeah, I looked this up a little bit and apparently most of Denmark's farmed mink goes to like false eyelash products in China and Hong Kong. Whoa. So... People are getting coronavirus from their false eyelashes. No, people were getting, like, the farmers were giving the mink coronavirus, then the mink were giving other mink coronavirus, and then the mink gave the farmers coronavirus. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think um, Denmark's reaction was more because I think it was a mutated strain or something, and they were really concerned that it would lead to, like, a new version of coronavirus, and that's why they reacted so, um, I guess some people would say over the top by killing, like, all the mink. Um, I'm not sure though. I think I think yeah. that was the reason for like that sort of knee-jerk reaction. Like we need to call all of them. Faria, you said there's um, like a political crisis that's happening about it. What have you heard about that? It's mostly from Danish people that I know. Like I've been seeing stuff on Facebook, and it's about like uh, the overreach of government. You know, uh, has the state gone too far? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know that kind of nonsense. Where are the animal rights people now? You know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the animal rights people were pretty pissed. Yeah, that's fair. 2020 and the coronavirus has really brought out, like, all kinds of people, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and all sorts of, like, weird and unusual alliances between left conspiracy theories and right conspiracy theories. <laughs> <laughs> I did some research, and um, apparently Denmark has, like, a thousand mink farms, and it's, like, the biggest mink producer in the world, Where which I didn't have the know. space for that? don't know i mean i guess mink are small animals yeah and i'm sure they're not in very big spaces oh yeah they're, they're kept in cages <laughs> uh but yeah apparently it might sort of spur the end of mink farming at least um in europe though apparently china's also a big producer and there's like no um they they are not moving in the direction of ending fur farming but like um the Netherlands had previously planned to shut down their mink industry like several years in the future, and now they're planning to do that in 2021. And then, like, I mean, I think they're calling all of the mink in Denmark, so I don't know what that's going to do to the industry, but probably not great things. <laughs> well, there's still a big demand for mink, um, as you said, from like for eyelashes and things like that, even in Canada. Um, I did read, though, that the mink are, like, rising from their graves. Oh, yeah, I saw that. <laughs> They're literally, like, coming to the top of the soil because of, like, bloating or <gasps> gases in their bodies. Oh! Yeah. <laughs> Revenge, I guess. I don't know. Oh. Kristen, this is a sad question. I told you it was this morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you did warn me. You did warn me. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, so that w- that was a fun one. All right, Kyla, this is another, I guess to everyone, this is another question with more than one answer. So we'll do sort of the same sort of thing. Hopefully this one should be a little easier. Um, For this one, there are six correct answers. 
This fall, the government of Canada reaffirmed its commitment to implementing a ban on single-use plastics. For one point each, uh, can you name any of the items that will be banned? Asparagus. Brianna. Straws. That is one of them, yep. <laughs> Diaphone packaging? Mm, gotta be more specific. <laughs> it has diaphone packaging is pretty specific. <laughs> I'm trying to think what else. Plastic bags? Yep. This is difficult because so many jurisdictions have current bans in place, so I'm trying to like think what did Canada specifically say they were going <laughs> to do. Yeah. What about plastic cutlery? Yes. Oh, was that for Rhea? Yes, chicken. Chicken. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how? where are we? Two? Three? <laughs> We've got three. There are three more. Three more? What? What nonsense is this? <laughs> What other plastic goods are there that they would have the audacity to ban? <laughs> I mean, these might these last three might be harder to get, so maybe we'll give them to... Do you, do you guys want to keep guessing, or do you want us to tell you? Why don't you give us a clue? Yeah, clues, please. Okay, um, think about, like, what you use... Like, when you get single-use plastic, um, what are the most common items, and, like, what are you using plastic for? Or when people give you single-use plastic, what are, like, what are you doing usually cookies um sorry <laughs> for a second there for a second there i was like oh <laughs> do we have a, a new buzz in no i was just thinking like single use, um like um like shrink wrap and stuff like that shrink wrap for what faria usually produce no uh yeah we'll give you that food packaging made from plastics that are difficult to recycle is one of them oh okay that's very specific that one was really long-winded <laughs> <laughs> Um, for the last two, for one of them, think, um, for both of them, think drinks, and for one of them, think turtle killers. Oh, the things that hold the, um, the cans. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what that is. <laughs> Beverage six-pack rings. Oh, there you go. Do I get that point, even though I don't know the terminology? I don't drink very often. Yeah. yeah. We're very generous here. <laughs> I don't know what the last one is, though. That's tough. Yeah, the last one, maybe, um, Kyla, do you want to just give it? Yes, the last one is stir sticks. Oh. Stir sticks. Yeah. yeah, it's very specific. All right, bonus question associated with this one. There is a form of plastic that Canada has already banned. It's not a single-use plastic per se, but it is a type of plastic that fucks up the environment, and we've banned it. Can anyone name what that is? Chicken. Is it microbeads? It is. it is microbeads. <laughs> <laughs> what I learned from this question is that I don't know anything about plastic. <laughs> <laughs> don't look into it. It's oh very gosh. depressing topic. It's awful. Yeah, it's super dark. Yeah, none of the alternatives are good alternatives. <laughs> it's really awful. Um, so I guess my question for this discussion point is, where are you guys at on plastic bands? What do you think? I think they're a good thing in one sense. Um, you know, I think they should be putting the pressure on um, like businesses that produce plastic rather than trying to change individual behavior because it's very, very difficult to break your your use of plastic if if it's not like alternatives aren't available. At the same time, I've also read like quite a bit of analysis about how you know some of the plastic bans are ableist or how they disadvantage like, um, like small businesses like restaurants, for example. So the plastic straw one in particular debate is, um, 
quite, yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a problem, obviously, because people with disabilities, um, you know, use straws because <laughs> that's how they, they drink things. And so, yeah, it's a bit discriminatory, um, I think, in that sense. So I don't know, you know, is there a feasible workaround for that? You know, can we allow some use of plastic in some situations? Um, the, the one about like small businesses, like restaurants and things like that, again, I think that comes down to just having access to cheap, uh, sustainable alternatives, which they don't have right now, which is the problem. Yeah, I have seen like, um, Toronto just launched, um, although I don't know how it's doing now, now that COVID, they had really bad timing. There was like a, a food, like a takeout, uh, reuse program that, that was launched, like, in January 2020, so... Oh, yeah, and then everyone became afraid of bringing <laughs> things everywhere. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. I hope it still exists, but maybe not. <laughs> All right, should we move on to question nine, or does anyone have a burning thing they want to say about plastics? Sounds like question nine. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> oh, this is another one where... um so there's only one answer for this one, but it is a number. So instead of having you guys just guess numbers until we get it right, I'm going to have you guys all get to guess a number and then whoever's closest wins. I don't like numbers, Kristen. <laughs> <laughs> Tough. <laughs> all right, this question has some numbers too, so hold on to your hats. Oh my God. <laughs> okay, so important starting piece of information. There are 7.8 billion people in the world, and there are approximately uh, 2,000 billionaires. 2,153 is the exact figure. So if you combine the estimated wealth of those 2,153 billionaires, it exceeds the wealth of how many other people on the planet? Can we use calculators? Yes. Sure. <laughs> sorry. I, sorry, Kristen. <laughs> I was so excited at the thought of like a calculator. I don't know what's gotten over me. <laughs> I'm going to straight up say six billion. Okay. Okay. Whoa. There's a lot of wealth in the world. <laughs> I'm going to say 4.8 billion. Okay. Okay. Have you finished calculating things, Brianna? I was trying. I was trying to think like how, I, how I would calculate this because when you say billionaires, it's not just that they have one billion; they literally have like several billion. So I can't actually calculate. Oh, but you were trying to do it based on like poverty figures and stuff. <laughs> ah, development scholar. I see. <laughs> Finally, I learned something from studying aid for so many years. Um, I'm gonna also maybe I don't know. Let's say like five point five billion. So I'll be in the middle somewhere. <laughs> okay. So Faria said six billion. Was it Lex said four point eight? That was me. Yeah, and Brianna said five point five. So the point goes to Lex. The actual figure is four point six billion. Oh damn, that's crazy. That was super yeah. close. Yeah, two two thousand <laughs> people are richer than uh more than half of the population of the planet. Cool. I don't love that. Yeah. And if you take it, like if you widen that figure to the richest 1%, then um, they have more than twice as much wealth as 6.9 billion people. Oh, my God. So I was like reading um, the top, like the summary for this Oxfam report that where um, I got this information from. And <laughs> that was the simplest way I could think to explain it. They had like, oh, you know, if you if you add like these 22 billionaires, it like equals the half of the wealth of this many people in this country. I was like, 
That's so complicated. I don't understand why you're explaining it this way. You have a good one here, though, Kristen, where you've written that the combined wealth of the world's 22 richest men is more than the wealth of all of the women in Africa. Yeah. What? Well, that's not okay. No. Yeah. And I mean, like, for me, like, I just know offhand that, like, if you take also including, like, offshore hidden wealth that's held by oh, people, yeah. that, like, they definitely outweigh the majority of people on this planet. There's just so much wealth on this planet. <laughs> like poverty, <laughs> poverty is a political choice. Absolutely. For this discussion point, I've just written eat the rich question mark. <laughs> <laughs> I actually found a book. I still don't know what the contents were, but I found a book entitled Eat the Rich a few years ago. <laughs> and I gifted it to the friend that was the first person I'd heard use the phrase. <laughs> and I I still don't know what like it wasn't like a small book, like it was like easily 150 pages, but I just like now I'm desperately curious what the, and it was like old timey <laughs> cover art, like 1990s, like 92 or like late 80s cover art. So now I'm like, man, like who was this forward thinking person with very bad publishers? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my Christmas list just got one item longer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So like, what do you guys think? Um, like, what are you what are some of the most important things that we can do to address inequality given how fucked it is. <laughs> I think a few things. So obviously having a fair taxation system, although, um, yeah, I think I don't remember who was talking about earlier about offshore accounts. I think part of the issue is that, you know, countries need to go after those accounts. I think also like more shaming of the rich, right? So that they, you know, feel some like remorse about their wealth or like re recognize that their wealth is not necessarily um, a reflection of things that they've done in their life, but it is a reflection that they happen to be on the, the positive side of the inequality um, equation. And I think, yeah, trying to get them more, although I know that there are some worries about like billionaires being philanthropists, but I think, you know, is there some way that we could use these billionaires for good? That could be one way. But I think the biggest thing is the taxation system and redistributing wealth. Yeah. So, I mean, on that, I think, uh, so on, on the episode that I was on, I talked about uh, using your political power to vote for politicians that support fair taxation platforms and to look up, you know, who is fighting that good fight within your jurisdiction, because it is both an international concern, but also needs to be pushed nationally. So like I said, in Canada, the key organization is Canadians for Tax Fairness. But I mean, on the issue of shaming the rich, so Tax Justice UK did a really interesting report called uh, the Public Attitudes Report on Wealth. And the thing is, they found that shaming the rich doesn't work because most people intend to be rich. And so they don't like that. And it's really so in, in the tax justice field, one of the questions we're coming up with is like, how do we find a compelling narrative? If shaming the rich doesn't work, like how do we yeah get across that point that Rich people didn't earn their wealth. At some point, they exploited it or extracted it from the system. And in terms of using billionaires for good, uh, one of the more interesting groups uh, that I've come across is called Resource Generation, which looks at like upper class, upper middle class kids who grew up rich, who are privileged, and to talk about the fact that they're generational wealth has given them a huge leg up and to help them talk about within themselves and to their parents about redistribution of their wealth. 
Yeah, I mean, um, what you were saying sort of made me think um, there's some research that someone in Brianna and I's PhD department who's doing research right now on like political preferences for redistribution. And what they're finding weirdly is that like people are in favor of redistributing money away from the wealthy. But if you then ask them like if they're in favor of redistributing money to the poor, that's like not a thing they like. But where 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 do you re- redistribute then? Where do they want it to go? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, to them, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> I don't know. I think a lot of this also has to do with like getting people to think very much more open-mindedly about like what is hard work. And so like at the beginning of the episode, we were talking about, you know, the economy in 2021 and COVID. And one thing that has been super front of mind for people and a lot of people are saying wasn't front of mind for them before is just like, what is an essential worker and how much do we pay them? And like, I don't know, being exposed in the U.S. to the fact that in a lot of places, the minimum wage for tipped workers is like two thirteen an hour. Two dollars an hour? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Two dollars and 13 cents an hour is the tipped minimum wage in a lot of places in the U.S. And like thinking about that and thinking about how hard it actually is to be a cook, a waitress, a bartender, and then thinking about like, okay, sure, it's not two dollars, but like, I don't know, it's seven dollars for the grocery clerk that's risking their lives really that much more. I think being someone who is spending a lot of their time in the academic world reconceptualizing what I think hard work is and what makes people tired or what takes them effort helps me figure out or like I guess reestablish better equilibrium about what I think people are like struggling to do or where I would distribute things back to because like you know I I think about like oh like nursing I want to pay nurses well and my reason to pay nurses well is that it's very hard to calculate the drugs that you put in people's body and to do all the healthcare and the things and they do stuff that doctors do. But like, also, it's because my now retired mom is like, oh, yeah, this joint pain that I have because one time I had to really struggle against a patient that I had to strap down because they were like needing to have an injection and their muscle was too tense like I'm like oh yeah you have repetitive stress injuries from like the physicality of your job but all we do is talk about the like difficult math and I'm like look the math is the part that is hard but like I don't know I'm not that fit so probably actually the whole job is hard and I now have like three more reasons to pay nurses more it's things like that that I think are helping me shift my ideas of like fair pay, where do I want to distribute wages to, that kind of stuff. Yeah, for sure. I think um, for me anyway, that has become like that is something that's been particularly prominent this year when I think about like agricultural workers and um, seasonal migrant workers and COVID. So definitely really good point. Okay. I'm going to announce the winner. (laughs) Okay, Uh, It was pretty close, but... Our final person with the most points was Brianna. <laughs> Brianna, you did it. Yeah. You win. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. So uh, Kristen and I kind of decided on the fly at the beginning of the episode that the winner would get a donation to a charity of their choice. Do you know what charity you'd like us to donate to, Brianna, or will you decide later? Well, well do you go fund me's count or do you just want 
um, charity. Yeah, go find yeah, these sure. are fine. Yeah. Okay, the Akalawit Humane Society is raising money for a new shelter. Nice. nice. We will happily donate to that to that we cause. Will. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you so much to to the three of you for joining us on this uh, this crossover episode that we decided to uh, to host as kind of a it was supposed to be kind of an uplifting uh, look back at the end of the year. Kristen put some real dark questions in though. <laughs> it was a bad year. <laughs> yeah, that that mink question though. Those yeah, fair, fair enough. Uh, okay, well, yeah, thank you so much for joining us. We'll 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 link to all of you, all of your uh, your your work on our Twitter, and we'll of course put what you guys do in our show notes. Uh, any last thoughts before we say goodbye? <laughs> I mean, hopefully things will be more ethical in twenty twenty one. Here's hoping. <laughs> 